Well, hello everybody and welcome back. This is our daily devotional for September 5th. 2023, and I am delighted to be with you this morning or afternoon or evening or whenever you happen to find this. I'm glad that we are here together. If this is a return time for you, a return visit, that is just fantastic. And let me just say, thank you all so much for your very kind words yesterday. I am delighted to be back with you. Um, and if you are new, I'd encourage you to go back and watch yesterday's daily devotional because we're getting cranked up. Up here for the fall season, right? We we took the summer off and we're coming back together now. And before we pick up where we left off, where we left off was in Acts chapter 10, I believe. We're going to pick up where we left off with this round of daily devotionals. But before we do that, I thought it would be best for us to focus on something a little bit um, more broad, right? As, as sort of a, a good start to this new series together. Namely, what we're focusing on is how to read your your Bible. Now, yesterday we talked about all sorts of things when it comes to reading your Bible, including translations. Spent a lot of time talking about good translations and not so good translations. If you recall, I made recommendations regarding, for instance, the newer version of the NIV, and I told you which translations are my favorite. I even warned you about paraphrases. Now, if you didn't watch yesterday's, if you weren't with us, again, I would encourage you to go back and see that because today we're really just picking up where we left off. But why are we focusing on this? Well, we talked about the justification for reading God's word yesterday, right? It's, it's throughout God's word. If you want to hear God's voice, pick up the Bible and read it, right? All of these things are justifications for the importance of reading God's word. Just think about the nature of God's word. It is God's word to us. He's the creator, seated on high in all of his majesty and all of his power, with complete power. You know, we got this thing going on where he's the creator, we are the created, and it is within God's right to do what he will. And yet, instead of leaving us to wonder and to wander, and instead of leaving us to just figure things out for our own, God has revealed to us what he would have us do. He's told us that which is good and pleasing to him as our creator. But even more than that, y'all, he's given us the path to salvation in his word. He's, he's shown us how we can commune with him forever, how we can be like him. He's told us what's good for us. You know, we've talked about this before, but realize God's law is an expression of who God is. His laws flow out of his character. God didn't choose to forbid murder because he knew that we like murdering people too much. No, not at all. We're created in God's image, and so God tells us not to murder. God tells us not to bear false witness, not just because he doesn't want us to lie a lot or, or we enjoy it too much, and he says, well, let's calm that down. No, God tells us not to bear false witness, not to lie, because he himself isn't just truthful. He is the spirit of truth. He is truth itself. And so God's laws revolve around who he is. And what God tells us to do is what's good for us. My goodness, life is so much easier when you don't have to go around and worry about who you've lied to. Life is so much easier when you don't covet. How much of life, how much of our society is based on coveting, right? Where you want something that somebody else has. How much more simple would life be if you would really love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and have no other gods before him? 
Now you might say, well, I don't have any other gods. I don't have any other idols. Well, if you're coveting something, that's your God and that's your idol. God gives us these things and they're all in his word to us, what he has revealed to us. What a treasure it is. That's why we hear things like, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, right? I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. God's word is a gift. So we should want to read it. But the reality is, is that a lot of people don't know how to read God's word. And so that's why we've been focusing on what we focused on. And also a particular verse speaks to this. Let me pray and then I'll read it and then we'll continue on. Our Father, I've already talked much about the beauty of your word, of all the things that is revealed therein, that are revealed therein, and and all the ways that you love us and how it's expressed in your word. But please be with us now as we continue this conversation, as we continue to focus on how to read your word. Give us wisdom, and we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. All righty, so as I was saying before I prayed, there's a verse that I read yesterday that really puts a capstone on all of this. In 2 Timothy, Paul, the apostle, is writing to Timothy, his his protege, for lack of a better term, and he gives Timothy an instruction as a pastor, right? Timothy is a pastor, so this applies to pastors. But the general principle applies to all of us when in 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul wrote, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now again, y'all, there's a special application for Timothy here as a pastor, for me as a pastor, for all those who are preachers and teachers. But that same principle, though it's not in a vocational sense, though it's not in an authority sense as an under-shepherd of Christ, that same principle applies to all of us. We should strive to carefully and appropriately handle the word of truth. Just consider what God has revealed through Paul about the Bible. That in this world that we're living in, where people are looking for truth everywhere, and oh my goodness, the things that they believe. Y'all, I don't have to tell you, do I? The world, it's like every day you you turn on the news and you can see, you know, just more terrible decisions by people and just unbelievable realities, whether it's litter boxes being put in high schools for furries or, or again, I, I say this all the time, it probably drives the people nuts, living in this age where it's considered immoral to give hormones to cattle, but it's perfectly fine to give them to six and seven-year-olds because Timmy likes to wear a dress every once in a while, right? And, and don't you dare restrict his gender expectations. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's unbelievable what people latch onto and grasp as truth. And by the way, it's the same people that tell us that science is real all the time, right? And, it, and I don't mean to get political here, but it makes your head spin. And you say, well, how do people, how can people fall for this garbage? You wonder why people latch onto this stuff? It's for the same reason that hungry people eat out of dumpsters. A hungry man will eat garbage. It's true. And somebody that is starving for the truth will believe utter nonsense. And yet what God tells us to do in his word is recognize that it is the word of truth. 
and to be very careful with how we handle it. It assumes that we will be handling it. It assumes that we will be reading the scriptures. It assumes that we will be sharing the scriptures. But again, how do you do it? Again, yesterday we talked about translations. I gave you some very good translations. The one that I use for daily devotionals is the 1984 NIV translation. I think it's a great mix of translating God's word faithfully, but you can actually read it. Um, there are other good translations that are out there. On Sunday mornings, I use the Christian Standard Bible. It's a relatively new translation. But it's just a revision of the Holman Bible, right, or, or the Standard Bible. The ESV is another good one. It's just a, a newer update of the RSV, the Revised Standard Version. But again, number one for me is the 1984 NIV. And yes, there are some passages where you need to use the King James, right? Or you should, because it's just beautiful and the emphasis is there. But it's hard to read the King James. Now, again, we talked about all of that stuff yesterday. If you didn't watch it, I would encourage you to go back and read it. Let's talk about something else, though, as it relates to Bibles. We've talked about translations. Let's now talk about special editions, study Bibles, that sort of thing. People ask me all the time about that, especially as it relates to children, okay? Let's be honest about something. There are so many versions of God's Word out there in terms of study Bibles. I mean, you name it. Everything from the sportsman's Bible to the ladies' Bible. I've seen a Bible for, for gardeners, a Bible for anglers, a Bible for firefighters. I mean, it gets really specific, y'all. And, and my answer when people ask me about these things typically is to be very careful with that stuff. There are some study Bibles out there that you just need to downright avoid, okay? Again, ultra-modern stuff that has to do with social justice. Some of the translations I warned you about yesterday, stay away from their study Bibles because if they can explain away getting rid of gender-specific verses, they'll take all sorts of liberties with other things. Um, another genre I'll warn you against, if it's a study Bible that has to do with prophecy, we be careful. I had a talk with somebody the other day about this. John Calvin, the great reformer, he talked about this, this, this path that we are on in life, and he warns about the abyss on one side of the path and the labyrinth on the other. If you fall into the abyss, it's the bottomless pit, and you just keep falling and falling, and you never reach the bottom. But if you wander into the labyrinth, right, it's the maze, and you get lost in the maze, and you can never find your way out. Y'all, a lot of this prophecy stuff, it's either an empty hole that you fall into and never stop falling, or it's a maze that you wander into and all of a sudden you're looking for who's the next Antichrist and, and what's Gog and Magog and, you know, there was a blood moon here and does that mean that, I don't know, J.C. Penney went bankrupt and there's X amount of letters in that and so that means that Jesus is coming back in 12 months instead of 11 months. And of course, I'm exaggerating here. And you think I'm being silly, but I'm really not. If you watch some of this stuff, it's it's just unreal. And some of these study Bibles, y'all, you got to be really careful with this stuff. I'm going to go ahead and warn you about one. And this is controversial. The Schofield Bible. Schofield Bible is based on a system of theology referred to as dispensationalism. And I, I, I don't throw the baby out with the bathwater here, and I've known lots of people that have them. But if you're not careful, that dispensational stuff, this idea that, that we are living in this dispensation of time, and it, it gets into all the weird prophecy stuff, 
it can lead you down a rabbit hole and you won't come out. Um, other prophecy Bibles, like anything that has to do with John Hagee, do not use it, okay? This is the same guy that talks about how he's not concerned with evangelizing Jews anymore because they're God's chosen people and whatever, dude. I mean, that's a different subject altogether. Read the book of Galatians. Show up on Wednesday night. We're going to be going through the book of Hebrews. Nevertheless, I'm not going to say anything else about that. Avoid study Bibles by Jim Baker, Jimmy Swaggart. You ought to know better than that anyway, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it because I feel like I've got to. And those are just some some very broad examples. I'll tell you another thing too, and and this is controversial, I know, but be careful about Bibles with individual people's names on them, especially if those individuals are living. I'll give you an example of one that I actually enjoy and one that I actually use. Um, this is the Spurgeon Study Bible. And it includes morning and evening devotionals by Charles Haddon Spurger, the Spurgeon, the, the prince of, of preachers, right? Uh, I don't agree with all of his theology, but really, really sound stuff. And it includes some of his commentary and some of his writings. You can see the, the little cursive there, right? And it, and it's just helpful. It, it's for devotions, but yeah, you know, that's one example. But Charles Spurgeon has been dead a long time. And Charles Spurgeon, you know, if you said, Hey, we're going to do a translation of the Bible, we're going to put your name on it. He would not have liked that very much. Okay. And I, and I know MacArthur's got one and others and it's, yeah, whatever, guys. I'm, I'm not trying to be a firebrand here. Just be careful with that stuff. There's only one celebrity in Christianity, and it's Christ. That should be the only celebrity. Celebrity Christianity is a contradictory term. There's a reason why John Calvin, who I talked about a minute ago, had himself buried in an unmarked grave, okay? So that 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 should say enough about that. Um, but other study Bibles can be very helpful, like the CSB study Bible, the ESV study Bible. There's a wonderful study Bible, and I, I can't reach it, but it's the Reformation study Bible, the Spirit of the Reformation. Um, this is another study Bible that I use. It's the Archaeological Study Bible. It's got some really neat stuff in there, really neat maps that help me understand things. It's put out by the 1984 NIV. Not not everything in there is perfect, but it's handy, okay? It's a tool, but realize this. When it comes to study Bibles, realize that the only thing that's inspired in there is the actual Bible. Everything else, while it may be right and it may be true, is published by people, okay? So just keep that in mind. Now, um, as far as actual other Bibles that you should use, you know, here, here, here's a good one for you. Some people ask about materials and it gets something that lasts, but you don't have to go bankrupt on a Bible. If you're wondering what color Bible you should buy, get a red one because the best color for any Bible is that it's red. You kid it? <laughs> okay. I'll be here all week. Tip your waitress. Try the veal. Um, but really and truly, that kind of stuff doesn't matter. Get yourself a faithful translation that you like to read. Those things include font size, material. We have those sorts of options. Be careful, y'all, when, when you're doing the study Bible route, be careful that you find yourself a Bible that you actually like to read that doesn't put pressure on you. Like they have Bibles that are focused on reading through it all in one year. We're going to talk about this more later on, I think, before we move on back to Acts. But realize that the Bible is not about a checklist, y'all. 
Yeah, never let it be such with your personal quiet time and your pursuit of the scripture. Never find yourself just reading for the sake of reading and I've just got to make it happen or I've got to check this off the list. You're not going to get any benefit out of that. You're just doing it to doing it. So don't go down that road. Okay. And, and no, I'm not saying that every time that you read the Bible, it's going to be easy to read it. Sometimes you've got to make yourself read it. But these things, these, these arbitrary lists that people can come up with, some people can do those and receive great benefit out of it. Some people can't. What's important is reading and understanding, knowing the word of God. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, write me, call me, and I will get you one. Now, I believe that's enough on this subject, the first major subject of import as we consider how to read the Bible. Um, very quickly, let's talk about some other tools, okay? So, so we talked about translations. We've talked about study Bibles. As you read the Bible, there are other things that can be very handy. Um, in your study Bible, there's such a thing as cross-reference Bibles, right? Where you're looking through and you can, you can read a passage and, and you look at the footnote and you say, Ah, okay. Well, really what's going on here is that the Apostle Paul is quoting this song. Those things can be very helpful. Um, other items that can be helpful for you. Getting yourself a good Bible dictionary, right? And, and, and this is not a great one. It's, it's just pretty concise, but you can look up an article. I, as you saw, I just flipped to a random page. You can look up an article on Corinth right? And you can read about different things that happen in Corinth. You can look up specific terms in the Bible, right? You can look up the tabernacle there in that Bible dictionary. That can be very helpful for you. Um, Bible encyclopedias. You can look up subjects in there. Um, a, a great one is the evangelical encyclopedia, right? And, and there's lots of different tools out there I can help you with. Um, in terms of, of literary guides, we're going to talk more about this, but literary guides help expose the different kinds of literature that exist in the Bible. Realize that not everything in the Bible is written as a story. Lots of the Bible is a narrative, but it's not all narrative. There are some parts of the Bible that are poetry. There are some parts of the Bible that are prophecy, and those things ought to be read differently. There are some parts of the Bible that very clearly imagery is used, and dictionaries and encyclopedias and concordances, and I can't believe I didn't bring my concordance, a concordance where you can actually look up the word that is in use, and you can look up the meaning of the word. And by the way, when you're looking for a concordance, don't just perfunctorily by a, a, a Strong's concordance. Whatever translation you're using should be the concordance that you buy, okay? It's linked to the translation. But uh, as it relates to different forms of literature in the Bible, if imagery is being used, you need to know that and you need to read it in light of that. Not everything in the Bible is literal. I'll give you an example. You know, some people really get messed up over communion. They read Jesus say, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me, right? They read 1 Corinthians 11 and they say, oh, they do the Catholic thing. They say, well, the bread must be Jesus' actual body and the, the blood must be, or the wine must be Jesus' actual blood. Y'all, that's imagery that Jesus is using. He's not saying that magically the bread turns into his body and the wine turns into blood. Martin Luther, the monk, not the king, right? He used to love to argue with people about this. And maybe it's apocryphal. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a myth. 
But it said that he would argue with people over um, Jesus, over the communion elements actually turning into Jesus' body and blood. And they said that he had this one tavern that he always went to, and he had a table with a cloth on it, and he would argue back and forth until he got the other person to say, no, the bread is not actually Jesus's body. And then he'd rip off the tablecloth where he had carved into the table, hoc est corpus, this is my body as if he had won the argument. Uh, one could simply respond, and I've heard that, that it was Zwingli that said this, that it was someone else who said this. Who really knows? But you know, Jesus also said, I am the door. Doesn't mean he has hinges. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Jesus used figurative language. He used word picture. A literary guide to the Bible can help you with that. Um, other things that can be very helpful commentaries, y'all, like, you know, for instance, this one's by Ian Duguid on, on, on Daniel. This one um, is the word biblical commentary on Colossians and Philemon. These go in depth into the verses, verse by verse, word by word, to talk about what they mean. There are some commentaries that are very scholarly, right? The word commentary is a scholarly commentary, right? It means it's very academic. There are other commentaries that are just wonderful to read and can really, really enhance your experience reading God's Word. Um, you know, th there's lots of options out there. And again, if you need help, let me know. One more tool that I will point you to is that often enough, some people will write, it's kind of like a commentary, but then at the same time, it's really just a book on different parts of scripture. Um, this one is considered one of the most classic in, in, in any pastor's library, any conservative pastor's library. It's Martin Lloyd-Jones' Sermon on the Mount, right? It's, it's, it's his studies on the Sermon on the Mount, and he goes in depth into the Beatitudes and such. Again, that can be very helpful as a tool when you read God's Word. But y'all, again, remember what tools are for. Tools help you accomplish the task that is before you, and they help you accomplish it with relative ease instead of doing everything the hard way. Sometimes we come across stuff in God's Word that is difficult to understand. The tools that we have, whether it be a good study Bible, whether it be a concordance, whether it be a dictionary, an encyclopedia, a commentary, the tools are just that. They are there to enhance our experience. And it's the experience that is so important. It's not just getting your way through. It's not just being able to check off something on a list as if reading God's word is some magical solution to your problems and you have to do it out of compulsion. Now, when you take up the word of God, and this is what's so important, and we'll continue along this line tomorrow. I've already been going for 22 minutes. So I'll get carried away over this subject because reading your Bible is important. But when we go to God's word, what we are doing is entering into the presence of God himself to find that which he has revealed to us. His word is the sword of the spirit. It is given to us as a profound gift wherein God reveals who he is, but he reveals who you are too and who I am. And so our goal in reading God's word, in part, should be knowing God. 
If you were with us on Sunday, you'll know that we talked a lot about why David is called the man after God's own heart. In Psalm 27, I believe we find the answer. Because David, as he considers life, as he considers the challenges he has faced, as he considers the challenges he may face, his one desire is to dwell in the house of the Lord. His one desire is to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. His one desire is to seek the Lord's face. My friends, the way we do this is through his word. It all starts with his word. It all starts in what has been revealed. I hope that this spurs you on to have a greater desire to read the word. I hope it spurs you on to be intentional about how you read your word. And if you have one of those tricky Bibles out there, not a good translation, uh, we need to talk, right? Again, feel free to reach out. I'd be glad to have this conversation with anybody. Thank you so much. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you've given to us. And again, I praise you for the opportunity to have it. Let us have understanding. Let us uh, be renewed as we seek your face, as we go to your word. Again, I thank you for everybody that's a part of this time, and I praise you for the technology that we can have it, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, again, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning. I actually post these things at 6 a.m., or that's when they're supposed to come out. But uh, again, if I can do anything for you, please don't hesitate to reach out, and thank you all so much for being here with me.